Wait, is it started? It's Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Here's an interesting question about that. Okay. Like, is that the main theme? I have a hard time remembering what the main theme for Star because Wars is. Because there's that song, and then the March of the... Whatever? Uh-huh. I mean, the Imperial March? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. That's his iconic, right? Mm-hmm. And then what was the one you were just singing? Do again. Mm-hmm. That's like the Return of the Jedi song, isn't it? Uh, I think so. They, you know, it's like I, I feel like a bad, I feel some um, music major guilt for not knowing like all the themes. That's like exactly the thing they would test us over in college. Was knowing your main themes? Was knowing your main theme. Oh, sorry. Uh-huh. Listener, I brought up a um, YouTube of the main theme, and I got a commercial that I have to skip. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know. Oh, shoosh. Is that what you were just humming? I think so. It's about to get to that place where I was. That's what you were humming. Yeah. That's the main theme. You're right. Well, it's like... Um, yeah, you know they would like they would play like thirty seconds of a song and it would be like, so is this Wagner or Mendelssohn or? Oh, Bach? I don't know that I could do that. I could do the popular ones. I could tell you Vivaldi, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, that stuff. Yeah, I mean I think it's like, but if you, I mean it's like any other test. I mean it would be like a test. You have to learn. You would like go study for it and sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, Taylor. Joshua. It was Mother's Day yesterday. It was Mother's Day you yesterday. You saw Marty? My mother was here, yeah. I did a bad job at Mother's Day. What do you not mean? Not only did I not get my mom anything, but I she watched our kids last night. <laughs> so Lindsay and I could go on a date. Well. Here's the thing. She, maybe she likes that, though. She says that. Okay. Um, And she does. She's leaving tomorrow. Okay. So well, that was probably meaningful for her. Yeah, which I'll tell you, I really like having her around. I know, she's just so great. It's gonna be a bummer that she's gone. And are her and Wendell like? They're very close. Besties. He always feels that loss the largest. Oh, because he stinks. usually goes there after school every day and hangs out, and they play games. Up to her apartment. Yeah. Or, okay. And she has. Um, they have sleepovers occasionally. Oh my gosh. So. Cuties, two winners for sure. Yeah, I was thinking uh, this morning actually about being sad that my mom uh, leaving for the summer because I realized that this living situation will not last forever. Yeah. And that, um, if, listener, my mom lives in my garage partner apartment. Yeah. Um, for and, like half the year. Yeah, and um, I realized that after my dad died, it helped restore. It helped address that grief because it feel like part of my childhood came back to me. Yeah. That my mom had like this close proximity and could care for me. Yeah. Um, mostly just through presence, but it's a big deal. Yeah. Of but course. also, I have thought about how, as a child, there are certain things, and we know it's because of the frontal lobe forming, that are so imprinted and special to you. Yeah. That I think for Wendell, he's going to have very fond memories. Yeah. About living in Colcord in that season of life when my mom lived behind our house for. Half the year. Half a year and really helped raise him. Yeah. Yeah, I bet Wendell will have a really. You know, I. Yeah, I had a really special relationship with my grandma. She picked me up after school every day. Oh, so that's similar. Yeah. That's and cool. she would take me 
to like my piano lessons or swim team or whatever it was I was doing that day. That's cool. And yeah, and and it was I, it's a thing I remember like very 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 fondly. Yeah, I never have been close to grandparents. Um, my dad's parents died when I was like six and eight. Yeah, and they lived in St. Louis. Oh, yeah. And we were in northern Wisconsin. And then my other grandparents right. lived in Florida half the year and had a Minnesota cottage that we went to every summer for at least a week. So I oh. knew them a little better. but And they, they lived all the way up until my grandma passed away when I was like 30-ish and my grandfather after my dad died, 37. Yeah. But I didn't um, see them there much. So both my grandmas died when I was pretty young. My okay. dad's mom died when I was about six. Wow, this is crazy to think about. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, well, and I, I, I did the math the other day. I feel like Marty's going to cry listening to me talk about my grandma. Um, I did the math the other day and it's like, I was 10 when my mom's mom died. Topsy is what we called her. Okay. And my mom was like 36 or something like that. Hmm. And I just, well, yeah, I mean, I feel like probably sort of similar experience for you. How old were you when your dad died? 30. 35 on my birthday oh yeah um and it just feels i mean like i i mean it feels really young to lose a parent in your 30s yeah i suppose that's true he was 69 almost 70 Mm -hmm. so it was like half i lived half of his life because i died on my birthday birthday. oh yeah um half of his life yeah when i was born was half time in his life which that was interesting because he died on the day when then it would have been halftime in my life. Right. So that was a kind of a head trip that I've, I think I've talked about before. Yeah. Um, and his dad died around 70 as well. So I just okay. kind of am counting that as my death date. Oh my gosh. Well, not morbidly, but just trying to live. Right. Just like, knowing. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, you would live. A right. Certain... Exactly. That's definitely true. Um, well, anyways. To kind of jump around here, but I always cite that piece of data from Blue Zones, that book about where people live the longest in the world. Uh huh. And one of them in the Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica is because of families living together and the deepened sense of structure and support. Yeah, I have. I was heard. thinking too. So some people hear my situation of my sister next door and my mom in the garage apartment, uh-huh. and just it's suffocating for them. Either really? not great family relationships, or they love their family sure. but never would want to live close, kind of. Yeah. And I was thinking, your family's another one that could do it. Yeah. You guys love each other enough to do it. We do. I mean, I yeah, I live with Kathleen right now. Yeah. Yesterday I was telling, you know, I've talked a lot about that place we go every year down in the Texas Hill Country. Mm-hmm. And my mom, or we're hoping um, that my mom's going to buy a place down there pretty soon. I was just wondering. She's about that age where you do that. Yeah. And, um, I was telling Kathleen, I'll move down there or yesterday I was saying to both of them, like, I'll come down and live with you. And actually I said, I'm going to go live down there. And my mom was like, I'm going to go live down there. (laughs) And I said, well, I'll come live with you. And (laughs) I think it will be totally fine. But Kathleen was like, no, you guys are too crazy. She said, we're the craziest members of our family. Could be. Could be. But Um, I think it would still be fun. Taylor. Yeah. Just a, a brief thing on the NBA. Okay. Do you know about this play-in game situation? Um. Yes, I did. I know that the Lakers might have to have a play-in game. Yeah, LeBron's somebody, really mad. Well, and then I've seen two funny tweets. One was something about LeBron last year saying essentially we need play-in games. 
Oh, and, really? And then this year, he's like, I hate playing games because he's going to be playing yeah. games. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't see that, that I'll, he had I'll said that it. last year. And then another tweet I saw that was relevant was, congratulations to the Phoenix Suns and Utah Jazz for the historic first place seasons. Um, as a prize, you're going to play the reigning champs of Los Angeles Lakers <laughs> in the first round. <laughs> Which is so true. Like, yeah. they're going to get their team back and then they'll win. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Maybe not, though. I have been so surprised how good the Jazz and the Suns are. Yeah, that's true. Not so much the Jazz, but for sure the Suns. Yeah. But I like Chris Paul, so if they had success, I wouldn't hate that. You know, Chris Paul, he just seems like one of those guys who wherever he is, he makes the team better. Yeah, he's like in the vein of John Stockton and Jason Kidd. and Yeah. I think for me, he's like the truest, best point guard of yeah. the last decade. Yeah. Like Steph is of course a better scorer. Yeah, but not not really a true right. point guard. Yeah. Uh Chris Paul, yeah, you could like put him with other great players and they're all gonna be better. Yeah. They're not gonna compete for who can be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he seems really unselfish and just also like a good dude. Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah. Like, Chris Paul's a guy to me that seems like he could have thrived in the San Antonio system with Popovich. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, interesting, because yeah. there's another Demon Deacon there, Tim Duncan. Probably the two best players to come out of Wake Forest, maybe ever. Oh. Chris Paul and Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan is crazy. I love Tim Duncan. I didn't love watching the Mavs play against Tim Duncan. But he, yeah, just actually exactly the same. I feel like he always makes everyone better. Mm-hmm. But also he has, I think, a little more... I mean, Chris Paul obviously has star power. Tim Duncan also just one of those guys that's like so quiet. Yeah. Um. So his like sort of media presence was always kind of weird, which I love. I love. Yeah. And um. And just so good. I mean, so 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 talented. Well, Duncan, you're right. He's quiet, but he was a force. But like, you know, he's like a twenty twenty kind of guy, almost like twenty mm-hmm. rebound, twenty points. Uh huh. But he is like. In the NBA top 100, he's in the top 10. Yeah, exactly. And those Spurs won how many championships? I mean... It was I, either the Lakers or the Spurs for years. Yes, I think... And then there were some outlier years where they still won. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think at least four, I think... I mean, Elliot could really tell us, but... Elliot could, yeah, spit that. We gotta get him on soon when the playoffs get going. I know. Well, and... I mean, he'll be out of school soon, so yep, he'll have work. some freedom to talk to us. Predestined. Yeah. So. Um, all right. Well, there's that. I actually didn't have NBA on the list. We just did all that. That's great. Okay. Yeah. And you know, Lucas and like weird, he's gotten too many technicals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Some of that German aggression coming I just up. love him. So he's obviously. He's a special player for sure. Yeah. He's a, talk about a like generational talent. Okay. I have good news. Oh my gosh. So great. you know that. Um, I love good news. That best picture quiz i was trying to do last week yeah i went back and took it because i love those kinds of things uh-huh. and um i i kept putting on golden pond in there uh-huh. and it wouldn't take it it's because it wasn't the best picture that year oh and there was this other thing about so awards are won a year after they come out yeah which is the spring so it's like the it's like Nomad Land was the 2021 winner but it was for 2020 it's like taxes right. like it's yeah, like very good analogy yeah so this is my birth year, 1981, uh-huh. which I have a weird obsession of things like who won championships that year and stuff. 
So this is I great. don't think that's weird. That's a normal obsession. So guess what the best picture was in 1981. In 1982 it won, but in 1981 it came out when I was born. This is so fitting for me, I feel like. Wow. I don't know. Don't overthink it. It's not like so obvious. Don't overthink it. You might not get it. Okay. Well, then just tell me. Chariots of Fire. Oh. A sport movie about religion. Yes. That I've used as a sermon illustration too many times. <laughs> How great is that? The year I was born. Uh, I do feel like sometimes you say like, I've used this so many times. And I'm like, well, you, I think you did that before I even started going to church I think here. that I feel it acutely, though, when I get made fun of for stuff that was popular in evangelicalism that I've used. Oh, like Chariots of Fire. But I'm just like, the clip is so amazing. Right. And that's that song, Evangelies or whatever it is, uh-huh. that plays. Yeah. And when he says, I feel God's pleasure, uh-huh. and they carry him out. Oh. Yeah. And that line, I f- when I run, I feel like it's, it's first of all, it's like Scottish. It's how they talk. But it's such right. a beautiful, it's like poetic. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah. So On, on Golden Pond did not win. Also, oh, it's not one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. It's just one flew over the cuckoo's nest. That's why one I couldn't flew, get one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I couldn't nest. get that to enter, and I also can't spell cuckoo. So, <laughs> cuckoo, c u c k o o. Yes, s. Yep, cuckoo's nest. Yep. Wow. We did it. All right. By the way, if I took that quiz this week, I'd do really good because I memorized the last forty <laughs> <I'll> ever... years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Trying to get that quiz. So. <laughs> okay. All right couple of things. Yeah. Um, I want to. I have two tweet things to talk about. Okay. One of them you retweeted. Okay. Did I send it to you or just retweeted? No, you just retweeted. Okay. I saw two different things this week that were basically like, stop talking about Owen Strachan. Is that how you say that? I don't know who that person is. <laughs> okay. But um, I know who he is. I read the tweet. Oh, you do? Yeah. He's like one of the Southern Baptist idiots. I mean, just from the context of the tweet, I could tell who he was. So this is going back to me talking about, like, I'm surprised that Beth Allison Barr's book's doing so good because, like, I didn't know we're still fighting about this. We are. Well, and this is actually the same debate about women in ministry. But So you retweeted that one, and somebody else tweeted, like, for Mother's Day this year, let's all honor mothers by not retweeting or talking about oh uh oh what's his name yeah and like for me that's it's like nothing give any any what is it any publicity is good publicity okay yeah like I, there are so many people on twitter who their whole twitter is like retweeting and fighting with people across the aisle mm. i'm like that's you're making their career right like unfollow them don't even pay attention to what they say let them be a homogenized pocket of irrelevance over in that part of twitter when nobody cares right that's my opinion on that. Okay. Okay. Good. That's good. Um, yeah, I think his his name in that tweet for me was like a placeholder. Well, Could and have been any he is a person saying that. Denny Burke, Owen Strachan, El Muller. Right. The same. Yeah, it's all the same kind of person. I don't or know. a guy, really. I'm just like, why why are we still talking about this? Uh, oh, I think that's fair, but like we are. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? And so. But I think I liken it to. Brian McLaren came out with this, and I remember Kyle quoting it. So this was 2003, 2004, 5. Yeah. But it was like, he's this whole litany about instead of being against, let's be a four. And, like, obviously we're all against things, right? We're against racism. We're against... Yeah. But I just fall under the banner of, like, the, the better way to 
advocate and fight culture wars is to like offer the more um, compelling alternative. It's like I don't want people to follow Jesus because they don't want to go to hell. I want them to follow Jesus because they're so intoxicated by heaven. Right. And I think that's fair. And then there's like also the reality that there's like seven Baptist churches in this state that would hire me to be the senior pastor yes. of their church. I, yes. So I think there's like times and places and strategic ways to fight the fight head on. Mm-hmm. But it's like the millions of minions like me on Twitter, like mm-hmm. retweeting, I think just gives life to things that otherwise wouldn't have life. I think this is very interesting. Um, and I think like all things, it's like the answers in the middle. Like, I think there are some people, there are some people who are like, um, the more, uh, the more, what is the word I'm looking for? Attention. We give this thing, then like the more attention it has. Do you know what I mean? And then there are people who are like, I should only, it's, it's easy to get lost in like, I should be every day um, saying something about this, you know, against yeah. this or whatever. But what's, okay, so you're on Twitter. I am. No, I'm like, this is a hypothetical. I know. What's, um, what'd you say I am? Like with a question mark. <laughs> no, I just was, you said you're on Twitter. Oh, I see. And you I were, said I you am. You were confirming. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm saying in my hypothetical, what's more compelling to you? You see somebody say, I heard the most wonderful sermon by Pastor So-and-so. Here's the link. Listen to this. It was so great. That's female pastor. Sure, right. Or here's why Alba Muller is stupid. Rah, rah, rah. (laughs) Which one does more for you? For me, it's the first one. I think they are equally compelling. (laughs) (laughs) I like both of them. (laughs) Okay. I give up. You win. Um Here's another thing. I wish I could remember the athlete, but somebody, you know, somebody dogged on somebody like professional. I might have been MMA fighting even, I don't know, boxing. Sure. And so they asked, they should be offended about it. Um, and his response was like, hey, so-and-so said this. And he just goes, who's that? Yeah. Like, I love that response. I love that oh, response. Oh, yeah, me that too. Is the, that is the most salient dig you can give. Or it's like... um. Yeah, there's an interview with like Mariah Carey. Somebody had said something about her, and they're like, "What do you think of this person?" And she was like, "I don't, I don't know her." <laughs> no, and here's the thing, like, and I think it's even more effective when you don't even give it attitude. Yeah, like you don't, you don't like let them in. Like you got some, like yeah. when you truly act like you don't know who they are and you could care less. Yeah, to me that's the ultimate. Like take the air out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's what the, it's a gift that goes around pretty frequently of Mariah Carey just being like. I don't know her. <laughs> and it's really <laughs> funny. And she definitely does. It's also, um, well, two other pertinent things, I think, uh, are the, like, NCAA, Women's March Madness, mm-hmm. um, gym, what was it called? The, like, weight, locker, the, the, weight the room. The weight room differential, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so that, I mean, that got solved, because uh, one of those athletes, Sedona Prince, took it to TikTok and Twitter and said, like, look at the differential here. Like, yeah, this is. And then at the end, 
of the video, she says, if you aren't saying something about this, you're part of the problem. No, mm. Well, she said, if you don't care about this, you're part of the problem. I tweeted about it. You did. Good job. Um, and then you told me only tweeted about it to get attention. Well, I don't remember what you <laughs> tweeted, but... <laughs> I spoke up, Taylor. <laughs> I'm not part of the problem. Um, but I have recently been sort of obsessed with her. And I looked at an Is interview. this the Oregon player? Yeah. Okay. And I was reading an interview her and her coach did together. And the interviewer, when talking to her, said, like, what NBA athletes do you get compared to a lot? That's right. Oh, and, that's what it was. And yeah. she said, oh, yeah. And she said something like, um, I don't really watch men's basketball. <laughs> yeah, this seems so great. <laughs> it's so great because everyone knows she's lying, but it makes the point better than any way she can make it. Exactly. So great. It's hysterical. It's like, you know why? Because she's for women's basketball. That's her right. Thing. She is for women's That's basketball. That's the compelling thing. But she's also out there being for women's basketball all the time. Yeah. You got me. I think it's both. I concede. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't act. You oh, it to. is for me. I'm a, Remember, I rank, I judge. That's how I roll. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Here's another thing. Okay. Um, I actually have screenshotted this so I can read it. Okay. This is another Twitter thing? Yes. So I read Nadia Boltzweber's Shameless. I thought it was really good. Really took me on a journey of my uh, Gen X purity culture thing. Okay, sure. I know I'm on the border. I know I'm a millennial, but you get the thing. Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the staggering claims for me she made in that book was about pornography. And that ethically uh, sourced porn could be a tool for whoever. Okay. Uh, We have different morals, me and Nadia. and Nadia, okay. uh, I guess. Still respect her. Sure, of course. Okay. Yeah, but you can... I am trying to live in the reality that I have a deeply uh, evangelically rooted view of sexuality sure. in many ways. So, Rachel Denhollander, is that how yeah. you say it? Is that how you say it? Uh, yeah, I think so. So, if listener doesn't know, how would you characterize her work? She's a sexual survivor's advocate yeah. person. And her story herself is a survivor. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Is she a gymnast or something? Or? Yeah, she was part of that big... Um... Is it 2016? She was one of the leaders. I don't actually think she was on like an Olympic team. Okay. But she was one of the people who was training at the Olympic facilities. Did she have a run with Larry Nasser? Is that who it was? Mm-hmm. Okay. So she has really found her voice and is doing important work. And, and then th- also her and her husband have really tackled... Like I think she might have also experienced uh, sexual abuse in at like her church. Oh, okay. And so they have, and he is a pastor, was a pastor. And so they have really tackled kind of like church and that um, conversation. So that's who she is. So she took to Twitter in light of the Josh Duggar stuff that's been going on recently. Wait, I need to, I need to clarify. I don't actually, I don't think she experienced abuse at church, but I think it was like when she would, when at church, she would talk about the abuse she had experienced. They would like. They responded very poorly. No way. Not at church. <laughs> so anyways. Um, okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Back to this story. So she takes to Twitter after the Duggar stuff breaks. Uh-huh. And um, she's got some fire. She's got to be a one or eight. I don't know. Okay. But um, in a really constructive, helpful way, like just laying out the problem very clearly. Here's two things. She's kind of going through a litany of like, we don't think it's a big deal. Okay. So the first one, I'm going to read the second one, is about Christian culture. We don't think it's a big deal in Christian culture because we've also peddled that boys will be boys mindset, except we've added scripture to it and told women they're responsible for men's lust addictions, that if they don't have sex, enough porn and affairs result. Okay. The one right before this, though, 
We don't think it's a big deal in secular culture because we're used to the idea that boys will be boys and we've peddled the lie that porn is harmless when it's really the gateway to an abusive mindset and actions and feels trafficking, rape, and the abuse of children. Um, so you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, I I did think, and of course Nadia said ethically sourced. Right. But I just don't think there's a trajectory of porn that ends up in a positive place. Um. You know, this is a thing I have been thinking about lately because of conversations like this and because there seems to be people out there really claiming different things. Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like really saying like, no, this can be good and helpful for people. Um, and and I can't remember if they're like quoting data or if that's just like their opinion and then there are people out there who will i mean who will say like no this is you know this um helps form like uh neural pathways in the brain that are really negative and make people think certain ways about um sexual experiences and also like you know make boys think really harmful ways about women and make women think really harmful ways about men. And, um, and so I have, yeah, it's just one of those things that's been sort of rattling around in like the side of my brain. And I have, I've thought like, I need to go look into all of the, like, see what, because there's a lot of research about stuff like this mm-hmm. and see what the research really says. Do you know what I mean? I not long ago had a conversation with a addiction therapist person uh-huh. who said that pornography rewires people's brains. Yeah. It's that kind of power. Yeah. That's why I just did not. Don't think. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I, you know, also I think I'm in a season of life where it's like, I'm really challenging all of the things, like purity culture things that like the church taught me. And so it is like, I think obviously it seems really true that like for like young, like young kids that not young kids, but like even teenagers, like people whose brains are still forming, it certainly seems like a bad idea. Um, Pretty, I feel like that's a pretty obvious one do you know what I mean but like I don't also I think I get caught up in the like Nadia Bowles Weber like what is what is she what is her argument like you know it's good for people like what is who and what yeah I should have prepared by finding the section where she talks about it again (laughs) because I remember when her book came out of course conservatives jumped all over her it was like a big deal i remember i read it and it's like okay well that's not exactly what she said but it was still enough i'm like wow i don't would never have written that in my book but sure um you know whatever yeah yeah i think that's how i feel i don't i haven't i've heard a couple and read a couple of people or like i haven't read like i haven't read shameless but i've read like um reviews of it Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, but that's not quite reading the book and knowing what that person said. Yeah. And so I have just been kind of like, what is this argument they're making? And I don't quite know what it is. And I would like to know before I make a call. But I do think it's also probably one of those things I've held on to from my youth group times or whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, I suspect with many things... Part of what will happen after deconstruction is over, if it ever ends, is that 
<laughs> like like the thing like you know Hegel says thesis antithesis synthesis uh-huh. is we will synthesize what worked from evangelicalism right and we'll hang on to that eventually yeah or don't seem to be there yet no okay I don't think so I have a follow up oh, okay Elon Musk okay I didn't watch SNL did you I've watched clips of it but I'm trying to more piece stuff together from things that were written in light of it okay. I didn't know this. He have he has Aspergers. I think he might have said. I think, well, two things. I think he, on SNL he said that, and that might have been the first time he kind of publicly talked about it. Second of all, and this is just me, I didn't know Aspergers was a term still being used. Yeah. Well. Like I had, it. I had heard that it was like the language being used currently was like the autism spectrum. Yeah, I have not seen any negative articles about him using that yet. Well, if that if that's the way he self describes self describes, yeah, it's hard to um, critique that. I do now know more why there was some protest of him being on there, though. Oh, you do. And it's not that he's a billionaire. Okay. It's that that's my personal protest. Right, that's your one among others. <laughs> the the one that I read about or that early on in the pandemic, he mm-hmm. well, first of all, he said it would be over by April. Which, remember, March is when it blew up. April of 2020? And that he was kind of anti, like, I don't know if it was mask or some other stuff early on, like misinformation. Yeah. And has retracted that stuff. But the other one is he's a, and I didn't research this, but loosely framing a union buster, anti-union. Oh, sure. So that that would be um, towards your billionaire thing. Right, yeah. So those are the reasons I found can I ask you a question? Uh-huh. What do you think about capitalism generally? Like, are you like, this is good or? Um, I think about systems, especially systems of power, more neutrally in general than I think people do. Okay. I can certainly see the harm. Okay. I also think that there are consequences to socialism even if i think it's a better system sure and that yeah when we change if we change there will be different problems felt elsewhere yeah and i don't think people are as honest about that as they could be yeah on both sides so this is kind of like i think a really growing moment for me was after we eliminated craig's position yeah um was that i had to reckon with a number of things one of them wasn't that like it was certainly a, a moral thing in a number of ways, right, that people were hurt by. Yeah. Um, but I think, too, I realize a different lead pastor would have probably gotten out of that situation in a different way. Sure. A different, you know, just like another way to look at this is, um, this is even further back, but we had flat leadership structure. Uh-huh. And I don't think, I've, I've stopped thinking about things as better or worse than just different and about right people make things work and not work. So I think the biggest hang-up for me about capitalism is the flagrant disregard for environmental problems. Mm, yeah. Um, but I do think there are some behavioral truths about capitalism, capitalism that pair with our evolutionary development. Sure. That um, are going to be, um, that, that make it seem to function so well. The other thing is, is a three, and I think this is probably true of sevens. Okay. We just want a world that looks very open to us. Yeah. And even if those opportunities are statistically mythical. Right. I would rather try and fight in that world, I think, 
then f kind of live even better in a fair world where my opportunity seemed limited to me. Interesting. Yeah. I'm not, that is just analysis. That's not at all a moral opinion. Um, so I'm not saying that's a good thing. Oh, okay. You're just saying it is. It is an observation I've made about myself. Right. Um, but that could also be from privilege, right? Because I've yeah, sure. more or less succeeded in the system. Right. Um, the other thing is, and here's my critique of our capitalist system, is the invisible hand doesn't quite get to work here in a way that would solve some of the problems of capitalism, for mm -hmm. example. So... Um, like, I, I really do think it's our problem that we keep buying from Amazon. Right. But the one of the invisible forces that should be at work should be the tax system. Mm -hmm. So there should be a cost for Jeff Bezos and Musk to have access to this wealthiest market of the world. Right. And the way that we should assess that cost is through taxes. Right. Just like we have a choice of whether or not we want to buy from them, mm -hmm. they should also have to make a harder choice about whether or not they want to do business in this market. Because right. right now, there's no penalty for them to do business in this yeah. market. Yeah, none. Literally, none. And that is not fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that's why, even though I'm like, you know, people talk about Eisenhower's 90% tax rate in the 50s. A Republican, by the way. I don't know that I think that'll work at this point, but I do think... No, it doesn't seem that um, way. Unfettered access to this market is a privilege. Yeah. And it, to have that privilege, you should have to pay for it. Right. Makes sense. And if it gets to a point where we're charging too much to have that privilege, then they'll take their, their economic means to a different market, and then we'll bear the cost of that. But that's not happening right now, and that's a problem. Right. Yeah. So... I think that's a good critique. I don't know, though, in any way how you're going to solve the environmental problems. Because that just has to be a consumer a, a consumer conscious choice that we all make together. And right. it doesn't seem like we're there. No, it doesn't. Under any system. Yeah, but nobody's <laughs> solving it. So thanks for asking. Sure, of course. Okay. Taylor, you know what time it is? Time for the quiz? Yes. Okay. It's my turn. Yeah. I love being quizzed. I have a couple I have a couple of quizzes for you today. All to do with mothers because it was Mother's Day. Thank you. I love uh, Mother's Day. I've got a great mom. Married to a great mom. You do yeah. You got a lot of great mothers in your life. Okay, this first quiz i don't know how long it'll be it was like hard for me to click through and figure out so i have a second in case this one's like two, three questions yeah. or whatever in case it's which college should you go to right <laughs> which which okay this quiz is which tv mom are you oh great yeah peg bundy what's your ideal family vacation here are your options okay a disney cruise no nope. an eco tour through belize mm. a staycation grandma's house who would want to take the kids on vacation or a ski trip in Aspen? Oh, a ski trip in Aspen. I was like, none of those until you got to that one. Okay. What do you look for in a partner? A supportive partner, a 50-50 partner, a provider, a best friend, a child care provider, or comic relief? Uh, best friend. Cute. Oh, my God. You're so cute. You and Lindsay. So cute. How do you want to spend Mother's Day this year? <laughs> Okay. This is, I guess, imagine, I'm doing the transitive work. Imagining that you're a mother. Yep. You're already doing that? Okay. Yeah. I'm translating it to my context. With my family, duh. 
getting a massage by myself, opening up all the presents I know my family's getting for me, or I don't need anything special. Every day is special when you're a mom. I am going to sound like I'm being a goody two-shoes, but I'm actually going to say the last thing, and it's not because I'm so a noble person. I just really like routine, and I hate when my routine is disrupted. So you're like, let's just do a normal day. So as long as, like, if you want to throw in something nice, but, like, don't make me do this. Maybe, like, we eat a nice lunch or something. Sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's good. Um, Lindsay, this will give you an example. So it was her birthday Saturday. And, oh, um, wow. So she really wanted to go to that chalk art thing downtown. Lindsay, a tourist just like me. She's a tourist? A, tor- a tourist. Oh, like- sorry. Yes. So she um, wanted to go to chalk art. And uh-huh. my mom, when we got there, was like, wow, you got him here. Me. Because me. Uh-huh. I hate that stuff with a passion. Oh. Anything where there's crowds or it's like a local that like such a waste of time, such a waste of money. <laughs> sure. And she goes, yeah, it happened on my birthday. It's so great. He had to do it and have a good attitude. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's just like my ideal Saturday is I get to work on the yard. Yeah. And I get to poke around the house and I get to fix things. Yeah. Don't mess that up for me. Yeah. But sometimes it's Lindsay's birthday. And we got to go look at chalk art. What is, what's your preferred form of discipline? Oh. Okay. Taking away allowance, spanking, grounding, taking away a favorite toy, taking away screen time, or what's discipline? Probably what's discipline. That was the beginning of my sermon yesterday. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. My favorite would be like an intellectual conversation about choices and consequences. <laughs> sure. But that doesn't usually work. Uh, <laughs> with the child? Uh, no, you don't say. It does with Roy now. What are you? Yeah. Well, Roy's, what, 14? Yeah. What are you like in the kitchen? I'm no gourmet chef, but I can whip up a few delicious dinners. I'm at my best when I'm baking sweet treats. There's nothing but ice cream in my freezer. I'm more of a takeout kind of cook. Um, I would say, first of all, this quiz has got a tinge of sexism going on. (laughs) For sure. But um, I would say it's the... I got a few good ones. Okay. I'm no gourmet chef, but I can whip up a few delicious meals. Yeah. That's what I would say about myself as well. How do you comfort your child? With their favorite food, with a shopping trip, with plenty of attention, by letting them get back up and start again, with hugs and kisses, by talking it out. Is hugs and kisses and talking it out two different things? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably. They don't really like when I hug and kiss them. But um, I talk it out, maybe. Talk it out. Okay. Not a lot of feelers in your fam. No, they just would rather Lindsay do it. Oh, oh. What did you do last Saturday night? I already know. You went to Jock Art. Well, that was not at night, though. Oh, that was in the day? Last Saturday night was Lindsay's birthday. Oh, we sat by a fire because she got a new fire pit, which was great. Cause oh, that's, fun. That's something I would like, too. So that's a good answer. Din- well, uh, let me see. Here oh, are the options. <laughs> Dinner at a hot restaurant in town no. without the kids. We did that last night. Where'd you go? That's our sponsor today. Okay. Hold on. You'll find out soon, listener. Went clubbing with my friends. Had an early dinner with the kids. Chauffeured chauffeured the kids around for the night. Had a night away with my partner. Or had a hot date at a local jazz club. What was this question for? What is what I do for fun? What did you do on last Saturday night? Um, Probably early dinner with my kids because we're in pandemic and we don't go out much. Early dinner with the kids. Yikes, your kid got in trouble at school for pushing another kid on the playground. Uh, 
How do you handle it? I listened to my kids' side of the story. Maybe they did it for a good reason. I talked to them about how violence is never the answer and then make them apologize to the other kid. Try to punish them, but it doesn't really work. Give them a pat on the back. I'm sure that the other kid deserved it. Well, I need context. About what? It's one of the first two. The I listened to my kid's side of the story. Maybe they did it for a good reason. Yeah, and the nonviolence thing. It's like probably both, right? You probably are like, what's your side of the story? Also, remember, violence is never the right choice. Yes. Um... So which one do you think Go is... Go with nonviolence. Okay. Okay. What kind of car do you drive? What? NV 14 passenger van. Um, there's like a bunch of cars. Where's the There's mini? just pictures, but there is one minivan. Big yeah, minivan. That was um, weird. What's your go-to Saturday afternoon outfit? An apron? Overalls. Wow. <laughs> Heels? Jeans and a cute top, I pretty much, or I pretty much wear the same thing every day. Go with that one. Okay. Wow. Choose the parenting quote that resonates most with you. Motherhood. All love begins and ends there. Oh, gosh. Wow. Okay. Mm, Okay. To the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Okay. Sometimes I feel like throwing in the towel, but that would only make more laundry for me. Okay. There's no way to be a perfect mother, but a million ways to be a good one. That one. I like that one the best, too. Yeah. Kids should be, and then the answer choices are, seen and not heard. Okay. Encouraged to to creatively express themselves. Loved, but also given limits, or allowed to make their own choices. Ooh, I like number three, or the last one, I mean. Allowed to make their own yeah. choices? Yeah, okay, that's, a, that's how I do it. Wow, this is question 13. I, oh, I la- last question. Thank God. I know. It's Especially because like, it's just like so vague, every question kind of. I'm going to be that cleaver lady. How would you rate? I don't think so. How would you rate this quiz? <laughs> I loved it. It was pretty okay or not great. I would say it was pretty okay. It was pretty okay. I agree. Oh, you're Lorelai Gilmore. Hey. Yeah. She's cool. She is cool. I'd like to know who the other choices were, but I, I think the ultimate compliment would probably be Tammy Taylor. Yeah. But I'll take Lorelai Gilmore. Although Julie Taylor is the worst. Have we ever talked about Friday Night Lights? No, let's save that for next episode. Okay, okay, okay. Because that is a great show. Such a good show. I should rewatch it. Simply the best. Laure- yeah, Lorelai Gilmore. Well, there you have it, folks. I'm a Lorelai Gilmore mother. There's been a lot of Gilmore pushback lately. Oh, is it bad now? People who are like, they're the worst. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fill out a favor. Yeah. Give anything long enough in history and it'll be bad. That seems true. Okay, Taylor. Okay. Guess what time it is. Time for our sponsor. Time for a word from our sponsor. Woo. Taylor. Yeah? We don't have any Michelin stars here in Waco. No. But if they were going to begin to assign a corner of one of the pointies on the stars, you know who I think would get it? Who? Well, probably like Milo or something. But that's not who I'm doing today. They're not our sponsor. Okay. Our surprising sponsor Okay. is Buzzard Billies. Okay. Oh, my gosh. First of all, one of my things with restaurants is what you get for how much you pay for. I have to be honest and say I paid a lot of money and my dish wasn't huge. No. But it was very good and it was fancy. 
And where did you sit? It's so beautiful. This is my other point. The best restaurant ambiance experience in Waco is at Buzzard Billy's. I agree. We sat in that bar area to the left. Uh-huh. And they have the fans, so I feel like no matter what the temperature is, you still feel great. And you were on the river. Yeah. You were on the river. I. It's the craziest thing to me that there, there aren't more restaurants on like the river. Like that Manny's down the street there. I cannot figure out why that place can't go. I know. What a great... But yeah, Buzzard Billy's best ambiance. I love their Cajun menu. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so delicious. Food, little little pricey. Yeah. But like I said, it's it's fancy. Oh yeah, and yeah, the food is good. Um, I mean, yeah, you're right. Nobody's getting any Michelin stars around here. But I mean, some people might, but probably not Buzzard Billy's. But the food is so delicious. It is really delicious, and the view is like incomparable in Waco I feel yes I would put its view up against some of the best restaurants from around the area yeah for sure in that area I'm talking Texas yeah so for a great experience go to 100 North Interstate 35 Frontage Road it is a little tricky to get into yeah you got to kind of come at it from the MLK side and turn right well and especially because of the construction yeah um, but if you want to check out their menu of course it's online or you can call them at 254-753-2778. That's 254-753-2778. And we're back. We are back. Well, Taylor, as we're winding down in our last few shows of the year, yeah, I have a topic I want to talk about. Okay. How many more do we have really quickly, though? Um, like today is May 10th. Okay. 17th, 24th. We could do the 31st, Memorial Day weekend. You want to meet and do our last podcast that day? Yes. Okay. We got three more. Three more after this. So, um, we... What was I saying? Oh, this is As what I As we wind about. down, yeah, you had a topic. So, I have about. made comments for years now. Yeah? That I think America is 200, now 100 years behind Europe. Uh-huh. And sort of how of like civilization development. Sure. And I think what this means is that we are heading to a time where we are going to be post-Christendom culture. Yeah. Where we don't have a state church, but, you know, if you go over to England now, it's like the, the Anglican church popped up by the state in little pockets of evangelicalism. Right. But just the religious landscape is so much different. Yeah. We are heading there at an electrifying rate now. I think quickly, yeah. So a couple of things for you just to listeners here, I guess is that I have talked to friends, and this is pretty much a universal situation, denomination otherwise, mm-hmm. that 40% of people are coming back to church after the pandemic. Yeah. Now, that, um, of course, is still up in the air because I think people are well, still... we're still in the pandemic. Right. And But there are some churches, like the evangelical ones, who don't really care about guidelines. Mm-hmm. They've been meeting for a long time, and that's true of them, too. Yeah. So there's that reality. Mm-hmm. And... We can talk about why that is in a second. Let me give you one more piece of data. Okay. So I was on a Twitter thread the other day, mm-hmm. and it was this guy. He's a coach, like pastors. I think he said he works for like three, with like 300 of them, which seems insane to me, but a large number of them. That's too many. But the smaller the number he actually worked with, the more staggering this reality will be. Okay. Because his tweet said, you guys, what is going on? Exclamation points. 28 pastors that I work with have quit their jobs since January of 2021. Yeah. So there's like this exodus. Now, that's a little different deal there. But. um, Well, yeah. 
But I think it's... I, I'm actually, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, I'm not surprised no. at all either. So just two pieces of data to kick off this discussion. Um, you know, is the, is the church going to look different? Yes. If so, when? Right. I would have said 50 years in 2019. Yeah. Now, I'm like 20 years? Yeah. It'll take a while for some mega churches to really lose their steam. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if it'll take a while for some mega churches. Yeah. But like, I think some it might happen pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, because also some of the things about places like that is people go because of like the energy. Mm-hmm. Like it's like oh, it's a this place is growing. Yeah. There's so many people. Yada yada yada. And so I think there's a chance that people kind of at a mega church that starts that starts dying, it probably happens pretty quickly. You know? Right. Yeah. It's like we're going to reap the results of our consumeristic culture in the religious marketplace pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I asked you to prepare maybe three things you think are good and then they're bad about this. Yeah. I have mine. Do you want to do yours first or should I go first? I would like you to go first. Okay, I'll do my three goods because some of the bads are like flip sides of the coin. Okay. Or vice versa, maybe. Um, okay, so the one that has gone hand in hand with this year has mm-hmm. been, um, I think, the loss of credibility because of sort of political and civic stances. Yeah. So I think the death of evangelicalism as a political tool could yeah. be really great. For faith and yeah. the Christian church. So if the church kind of ceases to exist, I have no doubt that statisticians and pundits are going to try hard to keep that alive because they love to be able to paint with broad brushstrokes. Right. But, you know, I think one of the things we've also discovered this year is people are really not questioning what is Christian. Mm-hmm. So if that identity becomes smaller and sort of a moving target that's hard to hit, yeah, I think that'll be better for everybody. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that was sort of one of mine as well. Just I hadn't quite found words for it yet. But, um, you know, a new season of The Handmaid's Tale has come out uh-huh. and based on a real book. Um, yeah. And they actually the plot of the book is all of season one. And so two, three and four have like just been the writers or whatever. But in the book. You know, they talk about people who are fleeing from this sort of oppressive persecution of this, of Gilead, the, you know, place where they're living. And it always gives me a thrill because the author, I can't remember her name, um, would like painted some of those people as like, she would be like, oh, there's Baptists in the South trying to help people get out of this um, regime. And I, you know, to me, it's like, that is what, yeah, that is what Christianity would be doing in that moment. But I know probably looking at it, you know, from the middle of American evangelicalism in 2021, it seems like it would be the opposite of that. Do you know what I mean? That it Mm -hmm. would be sort of uh, American evangelicalism propping that system up. And so the idea of being able to move away from that and... um, and not being as much like a tool of the state is very appealing to me. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. Um, okay. My second one mm-hmm. that is a positive mm-hmm. is that I think a truer spirituality will emerge among the remnant. Okay. You're taking all of mine. Well, then that's good. It means we're right. Yeah, that means we're right. <laughs> so there's that verse in Isaiah about the remnant. This is a theme throughout Israel's history when there's an identity crisis. Right. And it's um, it's eerily similar to, I think, what's going to happen. And, of course, you know, it would be arrogant of us to assume that we're going to be part of the remnant. Maybe sure. we're in the wrong. Right. But I think one thing that happens in these, um, these failures and these breakdowns is that something better rises to the surface. Yeah. Um, and so I think that will be really good for America. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, yeah, I think I just am really excited about the idea of like the people who attend church, like, um, being really, that being a really meaningful moment thing for them and not Mm. maybe just like a cultural, um, thing that people do. And I think I can boil it down to one reality and i would say the church now and for a while has been used to having power culturally yeah and i think the best thing that could happen to the church is maybe that gets pushed back to the margin yeah and then it will do that thing you just said which is then it is very much a conscious choice right because who chooses to um to to what's that word where you make a friend align whatever ally with something on the margin right? right it's not it's usually not advantageous for yourself right and so i think if the spirituality found in the desert so to speak would be a richer one yeah i do think it'll be a long time before it is like disadvantageous to go to church yeah but i don't think we're that far away from like it being neutral like it not being yeah like people not caring yeah kind of keep it to yourself mm-hmm. okay Here's my third advantage. Okay. Buildings and clergy are expensive. Yeah. And um, I'm always, of course, torn by that one because that's how my family has its livelihood. It's how right. you have your high livelihood. Yeah. But institutional church as it exists is very expensive to do. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I don't know that I think the average American is particularly giving at this point in history anyhow. Right. But if, if those, that money gets tossed to something else that could be a big benefit as well yeah so that's my third other positive like other charities and yeah. nonprofits. yeah having like a new source of right monetary yeah that's giving. a better way to articulate that yeah yeah that is a really good one did you have a different third one um no i didn't really have a third one okay I, those first two you said were mine, too. All right. Now, here's my three negatives. Okay, great. Number one, this is the flip side coin of the disappearance of evangelicalism as a identity and the positive of that. Okay. The negative is this. So, I keep talking about Rene Girard uh-huh. and scapegoating. Yeah. I think when evangelicalism disappears as a functional head. Do you mean evangelicalism or do you mean Christianity? Well, I mean evangelicalism because... That's the dominant form of Christianity in America. Well, yeah. In the South, certainly. And anything that's nuanced beyond that, most people either A, don't know, or don't care to take the time to figure out. Yeah. So. And I think it's like, I think things that are not evangelical Christianity 
in America are sort of even like 50 years past. Like they've already experienced some of these things we're talking about. So Gerard scapegoating. Right. I think a painful thing that's coming for us Mm -hmm. is when the church, this is, well, I won't get that far ahead. When this happens, people are going to realize, oh, shoot, all these problems that we've still been blaming, that we've been blaming the evangelicals for Mm -hmm. are still here. Yeah. Like racism and sexism and homophobia. Mm -hmm. Now, what's happened is that, again, they've just, those people have lost their cloak of identity. Right. But those attitudes aren't going to, are still going to be there. Right. Because they're not actually derived from scripture. They're derived from their own ideologies. Right. So. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's like that tweet yesterday. Like it was like, quit retweeting whoever his name is. It's like, because, and this is certainly my belief, there are people who would read scripture and say something different, but, um, you know, he was saying, like, churches that affirm women are participating in the gospel. Like, this is one of the things the gospel calls us to. Mm-hmm. And so it is, like, people who, and, and also the same thing, like, um, at this point, you know, we all have different hermeneutic or whatever, but it's like, I the gospel does not call us to racism or homophobia. Mm-hmm. And so people who lean into those as an identity, as a Christian, are using sort of Christianity as a shield. And they will still be those things in a post-Christendom world. And Mm -hmm. so that will be hard to reckon with. Like, So then how do you... Right. We're going to have to find something else to blame. Yeah. And if it's just we have to blame people. And people are complex and diverse and right. uh, non-uniform and present. I mean, it's going to be really hard. Right. Um, okay. So my second negative, okay. this is going to be a biggie. Okay. So I'll set this up. I had a conversation with Clint Harp a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And this was um, pretty actually intuitive. He said, look, you live in New York, you go to Central Park to find community. You live mm. in the South. You go to church to find community. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I do think that, you know, people bond over rallying points. Yeah. Although, And like faith in Jesus is such a powerful, intimate one. Mm-hmm. I think there is going to be a devastating loss of the sense of community in our country. Yeah. The church disappears. And I think you do kind of, and, and maybe this is better or worse. It's not a bit, but like, I mean, British people are much more to themselves than Americans are. Yeah. And some of that, I think, is cultural. Yeah. And it's learned. And so, um, but I think that will be really, really hard. Yeah. Well, and also I think there is a, this is, I feel like my, my point was sort of like both your first two, like one of the cons for me was like not having unifying like places, um, will be both um, like morally, ethically, and also um, like physically mm-hmm. will be is will be a hard thing to overcome. Like we we need those things. We need morally and ethically unifying places or like yeah. ideas, and then we also need physically unifying places as people. Like I, that's to hold how those we're ideas built. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, so. I think that, but I do think there are, I mean, I think 
there are people who are talking a lot about community and right now it's Mm -hmm. like a whole movement in the United States about like community and what community looks like and why it's important and how we like form it. Mm -hmm. And so there are people doing that good work, but I do think the church in this country has been really, really, really good at has been the place where that happens for the most part. It is the ultimate third space. Right. Um, well, then my last one is is going to flow out of it. So it's the flip side of the, the third point about pastors building and being expensive. Uh-huh. I do think that the church does address a lot of social problems in the country. Mm-hmm. And that if it disappears, those people will all of a sudden be without resources and be untreated. Yeah. And that will be a devastating impact to the rest of the country. So I think one of them, too, that is not thought about that blends with that last point we just made is that especially in terms of mental health, just by offering people on the margins a place to belong and exist Mm -hmm. is a really, really powerful ministry that taken away will manifest into so much bigger problems. Yeah. That one makes me a little nervous. I hadn't even thought about that, really. But yeah, it is like... It will will be interesting to see the fallout from that. And because also I do think it's like... (laughs) All of those things could not be true. Like we could find that people find those things for themselves or um, somebody else steps up to give people resources or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or that, you know, like like we talked about with um, like nonprofits and charities having new f- like funding, you know, via people maybe who step out of the church that all of a sudden that need can be met by those mm-hmm. nonprofits and charities. So it's just interesting to think about and see because it's, well, it's just interesting to think about and sort of pres- predict. That's the word I'm looking for because I always, well, I think this is some like present orientedness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always feel like, I guess that could happen or something totally different. Like, I'm just not good at like looking into the future and knowing, do you know what I Mm -hmm. mean? So I'm always like, I guess that could happen or I could be totally wrong and something else could happen. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I think I was, but for my cons, I was mostly, I mean, like I said, that first one and uh, there was one. Oh, uh, I think, um, I remember my other one. I think that at this point also though, it is like humans, I believe are deeply spiritual people. Yep. And, um, so, you know, part of Christendom is that there's this prescribed kind of religion to everyone. Yeah. And I think that um, even people who don't relate to Christianity, that ha- it hasn't been a helpful experience for them, that, like, it did give them language around spirituality and, like, mm-hmm. what it means to interact with divinity and stuff like that. And that without a thing like that... Um, I think it's really hard. And also, you know, it's like 
you have to be really thoughtful about what you believe actually like and yeah. how it affects the way you live your life and like what are your morals and ethics and how are those tied to your spirituality? Sure. Um, and I think that without sort of a, at least a place to like have a jumping off from, mm -hmm. um, I think that'll be really hard for a lot of people. Yeah. And like a, a loss in people's lives about as far as like how to, how to talk and think about like spirituality and their experiences with God. Yeah, um, so I have a different hypothetical for you then. Okay. Let's say you're in Waco, uh -huh. and church is shut down for whatever reason. All like, of them? Uh, sure. Like, you don't have an option, okay? Either because there's not one you like, or they don't exist, or whatever. The government isn't letting you, whatever, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what do you miss about church, and what can you still do that you, how can you still meet your needs if you can outside of church? Yeah, that's a great question. I guess it's a different way to say what about church is essential to you as we're doing it now. I do think that, I mean, I think one of the saddest things about the past year is that like community gathering for worship is like, um, is really formative to me. Like mm -hmm. the idea of people being together and you know, sort of saying, proclaiming, like, we believe these things. And so let me ask you this then. <laughs> I didn't even finish asking the question, answering the question. Okay. Um, because, well, because then I think it's like, there's like spiritual disciplines and stuff that I could do by myself mm -hmm. that also are helpful for me, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, and that is like, I have learned those from the church or from academia that's connected to the church and... Yeah, I can, I can do those things on my own. Um, my question, though, was going to be this. I thought the way you connected the people need a place for their moral ideas uh -huh. to be expressed is uh -huh. a very powerful one. Mm -hmm. um, that I don't know that I had connected those two things into one thing, but that is a need in us. Yeah. Do you think like people gathering for protests can function the same way? That's so interesting. Um, is that what that need is? Is people needing to be together to express their lament or their grief? Or their I think that's part of it, but I don't know that protests are formational. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think they are formational to a point, right? Well, I think they form one part of us. Yes. Yeah. But it's like, I don't think they, and they're really forming, I think, that justice part of us uh -huh. and like needing to say out loud like these things are bad we have to um we have to change them or fix them or whatever um but i think there are a lot a lot of other parts of us that like when you're sort of week in week out going to a place mm -hmm. you can also form those parts as well whereas like a protest is I think it's always kind of a one-time thing. Even if it's like there's a lot going on, it's like they're all different and distinct. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Whereas like, which is, I mean, what's the German word that people, I mean, yeah, I guess. Worship is always different as well, you know, mm -hmm. comes fresh upon us. But it's like, in theory, it is like a, a group of people who are committed 
to this to the to that place and the people who are there yeah well because here's my thought um you can get your community mm-hmm. you don't need church to do that mm-hmm. you can't actually you get your small group community sure and oh, yeah. probably could give more attention to that in a way that's healthy and i think part of the reason sometimes people get disappointed with church mm-hmm. is they're bringing expectations to an organization that can never meet them yes um, and we'll never be able to meet them. And I, whereas like a, if we were all in small group church stuff, mm-hmm. that conceivably could. And part of that is it's small enough, but the other thing is you just wouldn't bring expectations to that group that right. you went. Um, the other thing is um, I think we're at a point now where we could get our teaching, our mentor, whatever you want to call that. There's so many resources available, books, and podcasts and those other things. Yeah, yeah. I I don't yeah. That's true. For so I'm just saying that's not one of the things I think I would miss. Well, I don't think I think I would. Like I don't think those resources are the same as like you every week writing a sermon for this community. I can see that and I think there are some moments in the last 10 years that seem irreplaceable to me. Right. Um, like the, both the announcement and the decision from our, our queer discerning process. Right. But there again, it's like, why does that matter so much? Because we still hold this kind of place together as a moral um, agent in our culture that we all are vested in how the outcome is. You know what I mean? It's just, no. it's very strange. That's a silly thing you're well, saying. Well, like if we're all in small groups, then then really any kind of moral question like that would just be a civic matter. Because within our own groups, we would think what we thought. We wouldn't wait for an institution like the church to have an opinion on it. I'm pausing because Taylor's giving me a face. I'm, yeah, not, I'm not a, a face. I'm, I mean, I think it is. I'm trying to think of what I'm like. I didn't try to think of the words to say. Um, I think that, yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, a lot of like the early churches, like small group type things, but I think also it's like it, it, those moments are important because people who are, committed to this place are like bound we are bound together by the like love of the by like the love and work of the holy spirit do you know what i mean but how big does that we have to be for that to be meaningful i don't think it has to be very big but it in our case it's well not giant either i mean we're like a medium-sized church yeah I don't think, and I do think, you know, you can begin to ask questions about like, and how big cannot, is too big, like cannot be held together. But I don't think those are the right questions to ask. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, is it true that this place is held together by the love and work of the Holy Spirit? And it's like, yeah, it is. And I think that that is... 
meaningful for people. I mean, like, it's not going to be meaningful for people who don't practice Christianity, and it doesn't have to be meaningful for them. Mm-hmm. But it is meaningful for people who do. Yeah. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, I for me, it's it's not one of the things I see as irreplaceable. Like, I don't know where else I'm going to gather and sing in a large group. Yeah. I go to a concert, but that's a different deal. Well, and they don't have concerts every week. Right. Well, and I think the I would say the societal loss of group singing is to our detriment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's my granddad's birthday this coming week. Mm-hmm. And he has asked for a few people to, like, sing, just sing some hymns. Mm. And it's like a, so I think great. it's a generational thing. You That's know what I so mean? so great. Yeah. And so I think that those group experiences are, and, you know, Jamie, I feel like, is so conscious of not being manipulative mm-hmm. because music can't be that way. Uh-huh. But it's like those moments are bonding, you know, and they are important and the, well, and they're just like every other moment of worship. Do you know what I mean? That like we are proclaiming together. Here is the thing we believe. But music's a gateway to do that in a way that I think is just unique. Yeah. Um, okay. I can't tell you some of the things I would miss. Yeah. They're so shallow compared to yours. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I would miss church architecture so much. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I don't have UBC at the top of that list. You know, but, who does? Um, Some people, I guess. I, yeah, if like cathedrals, even though I don't get to worship in one all mm-hmm. the time, I just, I love place. I love architecture. It's my favorite form of art. And then to just see a beautiful church. What are the good ones in Waco? Like, what's your favorite church building in Waco? My favorite exterior is that Catholic church on Columbus. Okay. No, it's on Washington, but it's right next to Columbus. Yeah. Um, it's such a beautiful, beautiful, like almost gothic looking building. I really have only ever driven like by the side of it. So I almost I... went into it Sunday. You did? Because well, we were done early because we got rained out. I know. We were done so early. And I was on my way home and I was like, by love, I was taking side roads because it rained and I didn't want to slip on my scooter. Oh, right. So I went by and it started at 1030 and it was 11. I'm like, I just want to go inside and see what it's like. Yeah. But I didn't want to disrupt their service. St. Albans is really pretty. Yeah. Both inside and outside. Yeah. Um, St. Paul's is pretty. Um, St. Paul's is Lutheran? Nope. That's the other Episcopalian church that's over off of 4th Street, 5th Street, I think. Oh, for some reason I thought that was St. Peter's. Um, I've not been inside St. Louis. The outside of it isn't like overwhelming. I think it's pretty. Uh, yeah, it's not ugly. Right. It's certainly prettier but than our church. But it's not like your favorite. Yeah. Um, um, I'm very, I'm very, very partial to Day Spring. I think it's very Texan. Yeah, like, it's like Texas pretty stone and yeah, yeah. I agree, but it's a pretty sanctuary. Yeah, and all the windows and yeah, and that's the, what <laughs> at that me and uh, me and Jamie went to a webinar for like COVID safety things, and she just kept saying like, you know, the more you can open like <laughs> windows and doors that are like directly to the outside. And I was like, okay, we have none of those. So we're a virus factory. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm sure there are churches that I haven't been on the inside of that. I th- that are, that you I, would like. I don't hate, I mean, I know it's kind of quintessentially Baptist. I don't hate Columbus's space when I've been in it. 
And I think that the Eastern influence, like the, the dome style stuff of first. Oh, yeah. Is actually kind of unique and pretty, too. Yeah. I think it First Baptist, I think, has a really unique it and does. pretty um, sanctuary. It's Yeah. It's almost like an Eastern Orthodox kind of. Yeah. Um, Except also you can tell it's like it mixes Eastern Orthodox and then like traditional Southern Baptist yeah. things. Uh, that little, uh, it's now the Anglican Church. It used to be Lutheran over off Jefferson, I think it is. Hmm. Um, it's now Christ Church. It's uh, kind of a small, quaint, pretty church. Okay. But that would be about it for pretty churches and way to go that I know yeah. of. I'm sure there are some. I think. But I think that Catholic Church might be St. Mary of Assumption or something. I was like going to say something kind of mean. Yeah, I think it is. Okay, go ahead. Oh, no. It's about another church. I don't think I can. Okay, I'll tell you, can you, tell me I'll tell you later off the air. Yeah. Okay. So I would miss those. And then the other thing I would really miss if we didn't have church, church. Child care. <laughs> I feel like yeah. that's what a lot of people would say. <laughs> no. Wait, was that really it? Oh, okay. No. Mine would be I love worshiping in the church on holidays. Oh. Easter and Christmas especially. I mean, yeah. I like and not like being this able past to do Christmas Lent Eve was like really so 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 meaningful. Yeah, even with people in cars. I agree. Like I don't know. Like Christmas Eve services here have been some of my faves. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Hopefully next year we can do kids again. Yeah, get those kids back up there. Oh yeah, and those cute costumes. They're so yeah. cute. Get Arya to do a star one more time. I know. <laughs> what a winner. Okay. Well, we want to hear from you. What would you miss about church if it disappeared? What do you think would be good for the world if church disappeared? Yeah. We want to hear. All right. Taylor, Joshua? next week let's talk about Friday Night Lights. Okay. Like as a main topic? Yep. Let's do it. I'll have to go watch some episodes. I'm going to steal this one from um, from Smartless. Okay. Um, you know what I ordered from uh, the Bear Mountain? No, what? A bicycle. Oh, <laughs> a bicycle. Did you get it? Yeah, but that was like, bye or bye. You know? Oh, oh, I see. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't get All it. Right. I didn't get it. Bye.